Lord, as we um, think through now the love that you've shown us, as we think through how you want us to respond to your amazingness, we ask that um, through your spirit and by your word, you convict us and shape us and comfort us and challenge us and grow us. We pray that this morning your word would be active in our lives and that we might come away from hearing you speak, that I might be able to um, have your words. And as we come together today, we might clearly see the amazingness of the privilege we have as your church. Amen. Well, according to Statistics New Zealand, one out of every three of you feel some degree of loneliness. Close to one in five of those in the age bracket from 15 to 29 feel lonely almost or some of the time, according to a 2010 study. You'd think that the older you get, the lonelier you get, especially as you approach the end of life. But actually, studies show that the opposite is true. Only one in 10 of those 65 years and over reported the same level of loneliness as the 15 to 29 year olds. A recent study found that social isolation had the equivalent effect on your body of smoking 16, uh, 15 cigarettes per day or drinking six standard units of alcohol a day. We are made for relationships. We're made for friendships. And another study found that those who have not had face-to-face contact with family or friends in the last week were much more likely to feel lonely. It's kind of pretty obvious, isn't it? But it's because friendship matters. It's part of who we are. It's part of how we're made. But we're social beings. A friend of mine, when I was at um, Sydney University, I was studying psychology. He was further down the track in psychology from me. He, he was doing his master's in psychology thesis on the effects of ostracism. Okay. He then finished that. He went on to do a PhD in psychology on what happens to someone if they are consistently rejected in life. He's a fun guy to be around. <laughs> this is what he's looking at. But his outcome was, he's actually a great guy, his outcome was that we go crazy. People go crazy when we're consistently ostracized, when we're consistently rejected, when we're consistently removed from relationships. It's just not how we're meant to be. We are social creatures. We're built for a relationship with one another and relationship with our maker. See, that, that's how God has made us, that we've been made in his image, in his likeness. The Bible is quite clear that God is a relational God. Before anything else existed on this earth, God was in perfect relationship with himself. Father, Son, and Spirit. See, God is a relational God. He's a relational God. He he loves relating, communicating, uh, being amongst himself in, in, in three persons and us. He made us. He made you for relationship with him to bring him glory and praise and honor forever and ever and ever. Relationships matter. We've seen um, how God wants us to express our relationship with him as we looked at magnification that first week, that, that purpose we have to magnify God, to show his greatness, to live in such a way that praise and honor and glory go to him. That's one of the purposes we have as God's people. We've seen the way he wants us to act towards the world around us, the world outside us, to be deeply and passionately and actively engaged 
with people that they might come to know Jesus and, and know the reality of who he is and what he's done, to have a concern for mission, for seeing more and more people become followers of Jesus, disciple-making disciples. But how does he want us to relate to one another? What's his purpose for us as his church? What are we to be like as his church, as his children, as his family? Well, the first thing to note is that we've got to look at the way God relates to us. See, it starts with him first. He makes us friends with him. We can be friends with God. Not because we go to him, but because he has come to us. In the next chapter from that section that Carla just read for us, um, Paul says this of Jesus, Philippians 2 verse 6, it's on the screen, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The astonishing claim of the Bible is that the creator and sustainer of all things, of you, died in your place, came and shed his blood so that you and I might be in relationship with God, might know him. He dealt with our mess. That at its heart is part of the Christian gospel, the news, what what, what Christianity is so excited about. If you're here today and you're checking out Jesus and you're not really sure about who he is or you're not quite ready to jump in, I want to say, look at the love of Jesus. That he came from being the one who controlled everything. He came to earth. He was born a human. He came through a birth canal. He came out into the world. He grew up as a child. Like the creator of the universe came and did this for us. More than that, he, he suffered. He took the penalty we deserve, not just from the world around him, not just from the Romans or from, from the Jews scorning him. He took God's anger and justice and wrath for what we had done on him. If we get the position that we are in, deserving God's judgment for saying... I don't want you to be the center of my life. I don't want you to be God. If we get the position that we deserve, well, nothing, then the amazing initiative of God to come and die for us in Jesus, well, it's a phenomenal example of a welcoming God. And I want to say, if you haven't heard that, then please come and check out Jesus. He's done this for you so that you can live forever. We have a God who has loved us immensely. A God who makes the first move. And in doing that, he sets an example for us and how we are to respond as his church. He takes us when we deserve nothing and offers us everything. He's not passive in his action towards us. He doesn't kind of just stand back. He's like the father in the story of the prodigal son. I don't know if you remember the story of the prodigal son, that this son has had kind of... um, thrown it all away. He's taken his inheritance from his dad. He's gone. He's squandered it all. And then he realizes he's eating the, the food of the pigs. And he's like, this is crazy. I just need to go back to my dad and say, I'll work for you as a hired, as a hired servant. But listen to what happens with the, with, the, with the father in Luke 15, 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him 
was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine that was dead is now alive. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. This parable is an example of what God the Father is like, who welcomes us back into his arms, no matter what we've done, no matter what we've said, no matter how much we've hurt him, his forgiveness and his love trumps our rebellion every time. We have a welcoming God standing at the gate, welcoming us back. But here's the thing, you can't love a welcoming and inclusive God and not be a welcoming and inclusive church. You can't love a welcoming and inclusive God and not be a welcoming and inclusive church, can you? It just doesn't make sense. We want to be like our dad. The very nature of God and the way he's acted towards us compels us act in the same way toward one another. As we look to him, we realize there's no place for grudges in in God's people within the church. No no place for for backstabbing, for lying, for, for comparisons. It's a place for open armed welcome, for the embrace of we're part of this family. He has forgiven us. It's a place for loving one another. It's a place for an eager heart like our dad, that welcomes every member of the family back home. That is what we're going to be like as we look to our father. I've said it before, but I think I'll say it again. One of the things that can eat out of church, one of the temptations we have, is for people whose politeness trumps truth. It's for us to kind of go, oh, I actually just want to be polite and not say anything to you, but I'll never actually say the truth. I'll keep you at arm's length. I won't actually talk through what's going on. If someone's hurt you within church, we either need to forgive them and move on or actually go to them and explain how it's been hurt. I'm sure you probably didn't mean to say this this way last week, but when you said that comment about me perming my hair, like I kind of took it a little bit harshly and I don't perm my hair. It's just how I am naturally. Um, uh, but but I know it. But it actually, it did make me feel a little bit sad. And I know it's silly to you, but I just wanted to let you know and and say sorry. Uh, so, sorry, say like it, it did hurt me and give you that opportunity to, um, yeah, to understand where I'm at. Now, if someone came to you and said that, you like, I'm so sorry. I make jokes all the time that I, I shouldn't, <laughs> and that sometimes hurt people. And I need to say, look, sorry. <laughs> so if I've done that to you, please come chat with me. Again, maybe not all at once, big line after church, all the way around down the front. Hey, but, but come and, and chat with me and let me know. And the same with one another. Like we want to be welcoming, we want to be forgiving. We want to be a family that doesn't just pretend, oh, I'm just going to leave that there. I'm just going to let it simmer and annoy me and frustrate. We're going to deal with it, talk about it, and then move on. One of the principles I try and work by is that um, if something's happened, if someone's done something or said something that's hurt me, I won't let it kind of simmer for more than a week a week is enough time to get enough space generally unless it's something phenomenally huge 
But if it's still an issue for me a week later, I'll be like, hey, I'll go and chat with you. That just means that you know I'm not thinking, oh, is Rowan thinking something bad about me? He's, 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 did I hurt him? Did I, it's just what you see is what you get. Imagine a church like that, where there's, there's nothing, no worrying about where we're at with one another. Where we're just open and honest. Don't let politeness trump truth, but speak the truth in love to one another. Well, God's friendship with us puts us in, amazing, in an amazing position to know that we are called part of his family. We get to be enjoying this friendship with God. We get to call him friend. And the passage that Carla read for us shows us Paul's relationship for the church and how that really um, images God's relationship with us. Have a look at what friendship Paul has with the Philippian church. In verse 3, he, he thanks God for them. In verse 4, he prays with joy about them. In verse 7, he says, I, I have you in my heart. In verse 8, he says, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. What an awesome friend. I'm like, I'll have a friend like that. Yes, please. I want to be a friend like that. Here, Paul models the purpose of God for our love for one another. He doesn't just talk the talk, he walks the walk. He loves the people he looks after. And it's my prayer that as we build friendships here at EV, that We'll be like this, loving and caring for one another deeply. We'll have each other in our heart. As, as stuff goes well, we'll be celebrating. As things are hard, we'll be crying with one another, beside one another, because well, that's the love our Father has shown us. But what Paul models isn't just friendship. Friendship's great. I, I want us to be friends with one another. But what Paul models here is actually more... It's partnership. Have a look at verse um, 3 of chapter 1 of Philippians. He says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That word partnership is a different word from friendship. It's talking about something bigger, something greater, some sense of purpose that we're about that that draws us together and makes the Christian church very different from a club or a social gathering. I think the best way to explain it is is in the words of of, um, a Navy chaplain. Uh, He ended up being uh, the principal of the Bible college that I went to, Uh, but when he was a Navy chaplain, he he kind of reflected on the, the, the way things worked when they were on the ship. And he highlights the difference between friendship and partnership. Let me read. I remember how as a young man in my 20s, I witnessed the exhilaration that partnership brings. I was a chaplain on a ship that took part in the D-Day landings. We were anchored off Normandy beaches for three months. And in the minds of everyone on board were concentrated on one thing, making the operation a success. No one considered his own affairs, but all thought only how they could help one another in the common task and make it a success. I remember noting in my mind how I'd never been happier. When the invasion got well beyond the beachhead, our ship returned to England and the thoughts of the ship's company were occupied with individual affairs once more. And everyone noticed the difference in the atmosphere on the ship. It remained quite friendly. It was a well-run ship. But several sailors asked me as chaplain, 
Why couldn't we maintain that old spirit? The answer was simple. During the three months that preceded and followed the D-Day landing, our thoughts had a minimum of self-centeredness to them. We gave ourselves to the activity and object of our mission that once that undertaking was over, we all reverted to thinking about our own purposes as we do normally. So that's the difference between friendship and partnership. We'll always have friends. They were always friends before the mission and after the mission. But during the mission, they had a single overriding purpose that bound them together far tighter than any friendship ever could. Friendship's simple, right? You enjoy one another. You appreciate one another. You hang out with one another. You want good things for one another. And, and friendship's great. We want friendship. We need friendship. But partnership is different. It's not opposed to friendship. It's just far, far more powerful. It's what our God has called us to with Him and with one another. Partnership is when we have a common mission. So what is our mission? Well, what's Paul's mission? What's the thing that gives him this sense of partnership in Philippians? Have a look. Chapter 1, verse 3. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. It's the gospel, it's the good news about Jesus, his death, life, resurrection, ascension, that that he is the ruler of all things, that he's the Lord. That is the thing that gives them a sense of purpose and mission. Look at verse 7. It's right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace, in the undeserved gift of God, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and establishment of the gospel. He's laying out before them the mission that they're involved in and why they have such a great partnership together, what draws them close. Have a look in verse 9 if you're not convinced. (laughs) And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you can approve the things that are superior and can be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The mission is defending and establishing the gospel, knowing what's best, what's right, living God's way, helping one another to be filled with the fruit of righteousness, of right living, of putting God first. That's our mission, to be together, making sure Jesus has the central command post in my life, that he's in the driver's seat, that he's the one calling the shots and living that out along along lines with his mission and purpose. In other words, what draws this ship together, these people, is that they're all living for Jesus and for people to come to know him, to grow in him, and to remain in him to the end. It's loving to live that way. It's loving to live with that purpose. And that's what partnership is all about. Loving those here to make sure every single one of us is still standing in Jesus on the last day. To make sure every single one of us lives the way that is right. Not because it's just right, but because it's best. It pleases God. Because He is God. It's no good being a church who absolutely love being friends with each other. But are happy for one another to live impure lives. That dishonor God or reject His name 
whose lives are full of the fruit of unrighteousness. We could be the best friends ever, but be living lives so different from the way Jesus said that, well, it's no good at all. It's of no use. See, we forget we're at war. We think we're on a fishing trip, on some kind of nice boat, enjoying life, sitting back, feet over the edge, fishing. Oh, you know, that's cool. As long as we've kind of got community, we're at war. Peter says that Satan's prowling around like a lion, spewing out lies, saying, come this way. And one of the lies we believe is, oh, it's fine. Just sit back. It'll be cool. That, that person over there, uh, they're probably fine. They won't want you to come and, and say, oh, how, how are you going? They won't want you to say, oh, hey, I just noticed the other day that um, when you said this thing that you, you could be going through a really hard time. I just wanted to ask you what was going on. No, that, that, that wouldn't be, I shouldn't say that. It'd be impolite. One Satan. Friends, we want to be a church that are friends and partners with God in his mission, in the mission of our king. Don't you want to be part of that? Well, how then do we do it? What does that look like? How are we to be partners on, on this ship called church? Well, Paul gives a great image in 1 Corinthians 12 that the kids talk so helpfully pointed us to of the body. What are we to look like as a church? How are we to make sure we love and care for and work together as partners? Well, 1 Corinthians 12, 12, we're to do it as a body, each part playing its part. For as the body is one and has many parts, all the parts of that body, though many, are one body. So also in Christ. God has gifted us with the exact abilities he wants us to have. He's laying out opportunities for us to grow, to be able to serve each other, to be able to love one another, to be able to propel this gospel vision forward. We're a body. We're given to one another. We belong to each other and to God. Every single one of us belongs. Look at what Paul says at the end of that section in verse 26 of chapter 12. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. There are two attitudes that can erode our sense of belonging. This passage picks up on. They can kind of bring us to the point where we're like, oh, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe church isn't for me. The first one is... We can despise our place in God's church. We've got to not despise our place in God's church. To say, I don't belong, is like a foot saying to the leg, I'm not part of you. Sure, the foot can hop off on its own and kind of just do some kind of jumping by itself, but it's pretty obvious it's missing a body. (laughs) The foot doesn't stand on its own. It's pretty funny, isn't it? It needs a leg there with it too. I don't know what a foot does. Does it stand? It just kind of rests. (laughs) right? We belong no matter what we think. That's the reality. If you are in Christ, if you trust in Jesus, you belong to one another. You belong to this body so much as you call it your church. But sometimes I think that some of us think we don't belong uh, because we're full of guilt or shame. If people knew what, what, what I really did this week, of what I said this week, of the way I spoke at work, or what I said to my kids, 
or to my friends, then there's no way to let me in. I don't, I don't belong here. But we forget church is a hospital. It's a hospital for sinners like me and you. It's a place where we, we, we don't go to, to a hospital when we've got everything sorted out. You know, book in for an operation. Yep, I need to have this operation because everything's fine. You, you, you have the operation because it's not. They've got to fix stuff. They've got to change it. They've got to solve the problem that's there so you can get on with living, right? That's what church is about. It reminds us that we are people who are naturally in rebellion against God, that we need his salvation. We need his solution. We need one another to stand by one another, like a rugby team in a ruck packing in saying, yes, we're together. We will stand because of what Jesus has done. He's already won the game. We just got to keep playing. When we feel like it's kind of not happening, when we think like there's problems there, we need to look at them. We need to sort out those feelings and think through what the reality is and be there for one another as the church. But we must remember church is a hospital. It's where we hear the grace of God. It's exactly the place that you need to be going to, to make sure you belong, that those who were once lost have now been found. Please don't keep telling yourself you don't belong. You're calling God a liar because he says if you're in Christ, you do belong. Please don't listen to those self-doubts. Stop it. Give yourself a good talking to. No, I do belong. Get away from me, Satan. This is part, I'm part of this family. I'm not going to let you get in the way of the relationship of me loving my brothers and sisters and feeling the love of my brothers and sisters. Jesus didn't go to all the effort of coming to earth, of dying for us on the cross, of facing the wrath of God, of shedding his blood for you, of purchasing your place in his church so you can keep telling yourself, I'm unfit to be here. We are for you. We are for one another. Jesus is for you. He wants to see each and every one of us keep trusting him and keep being shaped into the likeness of him. No one's got it all together. Every single one of us is sick and in need of a doctor. So join us, won't you? Join us in the hospital. Stay, stay part of what's going on. Let God's word keep fixing us as, we, as he points us to that point when Jesus comes back and everything's put right. But the other error that eats away our sense of belonging is kind of the other extreme. We can despise our place and think we don't belong, or we can despise others' place in God's church. It's like we can forget about them. Too often, I think, we act like solo man or wonder woman, alone. I don't need anyone else. They don't need me. I can just stand. I'm fine. I don't need to go along. I want to go it alone. I want to show the world I can do this. I don't need anyone else. I want to be heroic. We cling on to the lies that if I'm a Christian, I don't have to go to church. I want to say, you cannot be a godly, mature Christian and not go to church. You can't be. You might be a disobedient Christian or an immature Christian, but you can't be a godly, committed, mature Christian and not meet with God's people. It doesn't need to be this group of God's people. I'm not saying this is the only church. You could just pick one and go there. Commit to it. 
Say, yes, this is my church. I'm going to make this my home. I'm going to get to know these people and stand by these people. We, we want to be like the team that's been together for ages, that loves and cares, that's kicking goals, that's seeing more people join in and more churches coming out and more teams coming out. And Find a place and run. Keep coming. When you end up just kind of coming along to church and, and, and sticking to your own group, not allowing others to join in and learn from them, you actually miss out on the benefits of having others' input in your life. You don't get fellowship with them. You don't get partnership with them. When you're consistently irregular, it's kind of like the family gathering that someone's always missing from. People miss out. You're pretty much saying, I don't need you. I don't need anyone else. It's really about me. I come to church when I need it for my help and I go home. That's not the picture at all. The idea that says I don't need others is a wicked lie. We need each other. The idea that others don't need me is just as wicked. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 3.13, Encourage each other daily while it's still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. For we've become companions of the Messiah if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. We need one another. We need to be encouraging one another. There is not one person in this church that doesn't need you. There's not one person in this church that you don't need. Now, I'm not saying this so we just get more church attendance on Sundays. So somehow in my crazy little pastor brain... I'm like, yes, I'm doing a good job because we have higher church attendance and that's what Rowan wants. That's, that's not the reason I'm saying it at all. Um, I'm saying it because my eternity and your eternity depend on us working as a team under God with his word bearing fruit, caring for one another. We are the vehicles of which God's word is spoken to one another. Caring for each other, encouraging one another, making sure we're both there at the end, on the ship to the end. The hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. I don't know if you realize this, but I need you as much as you need me and you need each other. We're here for one another. We're here to share each other's burdens, to care, to hold out the truth, to say that word that's sometimes hard but true. Because there's more at stake than just an optional extra, more than a cruise to some island It's eternity. We need each other. In the early church in Acts 2, as you kind of see the pattern they set up, and by the way, they weren't a small church. There's about 5,000 of them. Um, First church had 3,000 people on on the first day of Pentecost, first Christian one. That church met together daily. They were like, this is the real deal. This is, this is, they were kind of in each other's lives. They shared their possessions together. They, They were kind of for one another. And yet today, we think we're regular if we come three times in six weeks. We need each other. It's a joy to be part of one another. So remember that as we keep coming. Well, what is membership at Auckland EV? We talk about this word membership. It's one of the kind of key uh, uh, purposes we focus on as a church. We, We define it as this. 
Membership is loving and belonging to the EV family. It's loving and belonging to one another. Saying that, yes, I feel loved and I'm able to love and I belong here. This is my place. Um, Carson, who's, who's a great um, New Testament scholar guy, that's what I call him. Um, anyway, he says this quote in his book, Love in Hard Places. The church is made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education or common race or common income levels or common politics or common nationality or common accents or common jobs or anything else of that sort. Christians come together because they've been saved by Jesus and owe him a common allegiance. They're a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. That's us. I want the world to walk in here and go, whoa, you guys don't look like you'd normally be hanging out together. That's brilliant. Yeah, let me tell you why. Because Jesus is the creator and sustainer of all things and he's died for us and we're with him. He gives us our identity. I'm not Australian first. I'm Christian first. You're not Kiwi first, whatever nationality you are. You're not defined by kind of your looks or your sports or your passions or your job. We're defined by whether we're in Christ or not, whether our death was his death and our life is his life. That's what binds us together and allows us to then be propelled forward on this common mission. I want people to walk in and go, this is weird, but good. How do these guys do this? Why do they do that? So how do we make sure we love and belong to one another? We need to stay clear on the mission. And to keep hearing God's word before us, focus on who Jesus is, what he's done. We need to keep serving together on the mission. It was so great to hear so many responses from you guys to my email this week of, of um, yeah, what, what helped you feel like you belong and become part of, of church. Overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, it was that people actually wanted to get to know you. They actually asked questions. They actually recognized you from week to week when you came along. But also the other thing that was huge for almost, almost every person was they felt like they belonged as soon as they could serve. As soon as you're like, I'm a partner. I've got a, a role to play, something that's going to help the ship go forward. I'm in and I want to be in and I want to see this go forward and it's good and I'm here. So if you're not serving, I, I want to say, maybe tick the box that says I'd like to find out more about serving on, on your Connect card. It's one of the best ways to get involved and be partners with God on his mission. I don't say that to try and and trick you into doing more work. I say it because that's what we're about. We're about seeing the gospel go out, seeing each other stand to that last day. And there are so many of you that are serving and doing a great job of it. We then need to let the gravity of our jobs here, our our privilege to serve, our privilege of being part of this mission, put everything else in perspective. It's like we're we're anchored off off Normandy. There's a a fight going on. There's, there's, There's a battle going on. There's a war that we're part of. And when someone accidentally trips and says something harsh... We don't make that the war. We, we, we're like, no, we, we, let's not fight each other. Let's hold out the gospel together. Let's keep going forward. Say sorry, deal with it, get it over with, and like, let's, let's love one another. And think of the times I say stupid things. You say, like, let's let the mission put all else in perspective. 
I often say, it's true in our car. <laughs> Whenever we're going somewhere, as long as we're going on the road, if we're driving with four kids in the car, generally the kids are okay. They're not kind of fighting too much. If you're stuck in traffic, stationary, no, no going anywhere, it's like, Rah! it's like someone let off the crazy bomb in the back. Like one of them's undoing the seatbelt, flying out the door. The other one's going, he's looking at me. Like, yeah, that's fine. Get over it. Like, no, he's looking at me again. And you're like, what's going on? But then you're like, no, all right. Everyone's seatbelt's on. All right, now we're back on the road going to wherever we're going. It's like, okay, we're going somewhere. That's what it can be like in a church. A church that isn't going anywhere. is like, Row! everyone's at one another because we've got nothing else to do. We've got partnership in the gospel. We've got what God is doing. We've seen who he is and where he's taking us. And we want in. We want to be looking forward to heaven, loving one another. <laughs> I want to say that the best welcoming happens as we do things naturally. As you invite people around a house, to your place for a lunch. Uh, a few of you have kind of talked through how, how that was so helpful for you, joining church. We, we definitely have structures here to kind of help us to be able to get one another to know one another. But the best loving and belonging happens when we just, each of us, Love one another. We do it naturally. We go up and we say, look, sorry, I've forgotten your name. I'm Rowan. That's my normal line. (laughs) I'm a shocker at it. I call people by the wrong names so often. Um, If I get your first letter right, it's great. It's not because I don't love you. It's because I love you that I'm bringing it up. If I didn't care, I'd just avoid you. (laughs) We need to be a church that's got an amnesty on like name forgetting. It's totally fine if you forget my name. Come and ask me. One of the questions we shouldn't ask each other. There's two things I think you never ask someone in church. One is, oh, are you new? Oh, I've been here since before we started. <laughs> oh, I hadn't noticed you, right? That's that awkward moment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right, ask her, how long have you been here? How long have you been coming to Auckland AV? That's a good question. Don't ask how, you know, um, yeah, are you new? The second question you never ask is, are you pregnant? Just a tip for guys. Don't ask it. Never. Just just don't. Okay. Even if, even if it's just the first time you've met them, don't. I kid you not. I know people that have. And then one of the other ways that I think it works is be regular at church. Be regular in connect groups. Connect groups are the place where we get to share our lives together. We get to open the word, talk about how we're going, be what's and all with one another. To actually go, I'm finding this hard. I'm... I'm tired share it don't hold it to yourself we're here to carry the burden and it is such a joy to carry others burdens i don't know the only time i don't feel like that is when it's my burden and i'm like oh no one will want to hear about it but when others have them i'm like i want to share i want to be there for you i love you i want to see you keep growing in jesus don't you feel that way except when it's me and we shut up and we don't share and we can't have relationship and We don't end up with that partnership, with that sharing everything. So do come along to a connect group. And don't just turn up and not say much. Share your life. There's appropriate times. There are oversharers. If you're an oversharer, maybe if you think you're an oversharer, ask someone. Right? Honestly, I want you to tell me, am I an oversharer? Can you let me know? Like maybe like a signal or something when, when I'm oversharing. And like, but I don't think that's most of us. We're all on the other end. We, we don't want to share. So start sharing. And one of the ways we can, we can do that is to actually call out for help. So I've been so impressed by the way you guys have loved those who've been sick amongst us just in the last month. 
Um, I was at, at Anna and Tim's yesterday. So Anna um, got quite sick, had a cyst burst internally. There's something there that she needs to have an operation on. She's in a lot of pain. She's in the waiting list for the operation. Um, it, while that's happening, Tim had scheduled surgery to replace a vertebrae in his spine, in his neck. So pretty serious kind of stuff, right? And so, but you guys, the, the Connect for Women group have just been bringing them um, meals, have been taking their kids and having them stay overnight at places. They've been turning up with coffees. They've been texting them saying, they're like, I saw them yesterday, they're like, we are so overwhelmed with the love people have. It just made me so proud to be called your pastor, to be part of this church. Like, good on you. This is exactly what it's about. We're at war. We want to love and care for these people. Walk alongside them. Let's, let's keep doing that. Let's keep loving each other. Uh, in a couple of weeks, uh, we've got what's called our um, mystery lunch. It's, it's another amnesty opportunity to go, well, we, we, here's an opportunity to go to someone's house who I don't know, and it's fine to not know them. It's kind of random. Uh, you've got details about it in your outline. We'd love you to register online. What you do is you say, I could host some people at my house, and then we'll let you know how many people are coming, if they have any allergies, and they'll just turn up and you'll be like, oh, I don't know you, or hey, and so amnesty to say welcome or not. Um, probably not the not. Uh, and, or you could register for saying, oh, I can't host at my house, but I'd love to go to someone's house. And we'll match all those up. And it'd be a, it's, People have found these really helpful to get to know one another. To say, yeah, here's a, a nice structure that helps me naturally get to know you. So together we can be in partnership for the gospel. The other way to do it is to pray for others in your connect group. Um, that's how I remember names. I'll pray for them. Not just pray that I remember them. You can do that too. But actually be praying for people. Write down a list of all the people in your connect group and pray for them. Um, I still get people's names in my connect group mixed up. And you know who you are and I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> um, and one of the other ways, the last thing I want to say today, and this is kind of feels really kind of cold, We'd love everyone to update the details on your Connect card. If you're here today, we'd love you, even if you put it in before, to give us your details. So we're not going to sell them to some timeshare company to offer you stuff in Fiji. We won't outsource. You won't get random stranger calls. It'll only be from us texting you, letting you know stuff's on. But we'd love you all to write down your address, your phone number. Um, it will stay with us, but so that we can be a family, so that we can know where you live and, um, and love you and care for you in that way. Well, friends, friendship matters. But more than that, partnership matters even more. Uh, our lives and our eternity depend on it. I want to I invite Tom and Anna down the front now. I was like, oh, do we have time? Anna's like, I hope you don't have time, Rowan. Come down the front quickly. Thanks, guys. They're going to sing a song for us. Just kidding. So Tom and Anna have been um, part of us here for uh, just over a year, maybe a year and a half, no more than that. Um, these guys, um, Tom, both the lawyers, Tom's uh, standing on our exec at our annual general meeting coming up. Um, so welcome to the front, guys. You can have one of these. It'll just work, apparently. Um, so you guys... Um, have been Christians for a while. Uh, you're in Christchurch. You went to Cambridge to do uh, further study in, in law. Um, came back from Cambridge. How did you kind of fit in with church and Christianity? Yeah, did you find a place that you could go along to? How'd that work? Um, initially, um, it's probably more of an excuse, but we knew we were only going to be at sort of Cambridge for a short time. Um, we moved back to New Zealand, to Wellington. 
knew that was going to be a short-term thing. Um, went along to church there, but we never really committed, um, sort of knowing that we weren't going to be there for very long. Um, we sort of used it as an excuse, really, not to sort of stay there. It's a bit apathetic, I think. Yeah. Um, but once we moved to Auckland, um, we knew we were going to be here for the foreseeable future. Um, it did take us a while to sort of sort of commit to a church. We went around a couple um, and um, took us here. Once we decided to sort of move house, we move into a house that we bought, we knew we were going to be here for a while, so that's when we sort of decided to commit to a church and we eventually found EV. What was it for you guys that you were like, oh, this was, this was helpful? What, what made you go, oh, we want to stick with this kind of motley crew? Um, well, I just think the very first um, Sunday we came, I think Philip sat beside us and was just super friendly, but kind of not just like, hi, is this your first time at church? Yeah. Um, it was more like genuine kind of like, you know, how are you guys doing, Rowdy Ruff? Didn't ask you if, you, if you were pregnant. <laughs> no, he didn't. <laughs> but he might have. He could have been right, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Still don't ask it. <laughs> um, and then, you know, having, obviously, having the kind of option to go to Moa's Nest after the service, and he was like, come on down, and then we met a few other people, and I think Paula, um, you and Marcus asked us for lunch either, like, the first or the second week. Um, mm. And then, um, yeah, we kind of got connected with a connect group, um, and that was obviously, you know, you do have to come with the right attitude and so, like, put yourself on out and, you know, join a connect group. And I guess once you're in the connect group, we kind of made more connections. Yeah, it's a lot easier once, yeah. once you've got a small group and get to know people quite well. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's been so exciting seeing you guys come along and finding a place where you're like, no, we want to be serious about our faith. We want to think through how our Jesus affects our life and how we live that out amongst the community. You both I, think, I think it's easy, you know, when it's just the two of you to kind of cruise on around. But when we thought of having a child and it's like, actually, we need to actually do something about this church situation that we'd been kind of a bit cold on for a few mm-hmm. years, to be honest. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was time to make How's committing affected your walk with God? Uh, well, it's just like a you know, week by week accountability, I guess. And then, you know, it's just encouraging. And mm. especially, you know, I'm part of the Women's Connect group now yeah. and you go to the Wednesday Night Connect group on the shore and it's just kind of that checking in. And yeah. I guess knowing people are praying for you and, you know. So constantly in your mind, like once, when we weren't at church, you know, you can go through weeks at a time drifting without even thinking, second thought about being a Christian or thinking about Christ. It back of your mind. Yeah, it is. It is pushed to the back of your mind. Yeah. It's been exciting to see. So, um, Tom, you're going to uh, look at joining our exec, help us with our finances and legally. It's great to have a trained lawyer on there, so help us with those things. Why don't I give thanks for these guys and pray that us as a church um, could keep loving and belonging before we stand and sing together. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, thanks so much for Tom and Anna and for all of us here that you've gathered together um, to serve your son, to keep knowing him and growing in him. Thanks for the way, Lord, this church has been so encouraging for so many uh, to actually call it a place that's home and to express the love you've shown us in, in that area. Lord, please help us to keep putting Jesus first. Help us to recognize the, the team that we're a part of, that we, we exist because of you, that we have that example of the way you've loved us. So help us to love and care so deeply for one another, uh, that we might be there, that we might put all things in perspective. We might be a church that um, lives for your glory and therefore for one another's good as we care and look after and love and pray for and walk alongside one another in this life. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.